This podcast is brought to you by Premiere, the UK's leading Christian media organisation. As we approach the end of our financial year, we want to remind you that podcasts like this are only possible due to the generosity of supporters like you. You could help reach millions of people throughout the year through shows just like this. Make your best gift today at premierchristianradio.plus. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Megan Cornwell. This is the show where we delve into a person's life, faith and testimony. And it's brought to you in association with Premier Christianity magazine. If you'd like a free copy of the magazine, head to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Today we're bringing you something a bit different. It's my interview with Nadim Ednan Laparus, the father of Natasha, who died in 2016 after suffering a severe allergic reaction to an unlabeled Pret-a-Manger sandwich. The story of the 15-year-old's death travelled the world over, but what wasn't reported was the powerful spiritual experience Nadim had on the day of her death. This led him to faith. I sat down with Nadim to hear the whole story. Listen in. Nadim, tell me about your attitude to faith before you became a Christian. Had you had any kind of interaction with Christianity at all? Yeah, I think, um, well, so I'm 55 years old now. And um, and it's a, it's a recent thing to have any kind of connection to faith. Um, all probably my previous life, if I call it, if you like, uh, most of my life, I really had no... Um, uh, certainly no desire to know God or didn't really think of God at all actually and in fact people who I met that were sort of that way inclined and I used that language because it's kind of how I talk about it back then um, <clears throat> I thought were uh, uh, really somewhat annoying um, uh, and really bugged me and just wanted to move away from them actually uh, an example would be um, I think that I remember clearly actually way back so when I'd be sort of at university in Manchester uh, back in the 80s I, I had to, there was a girl I really liked a, a lot um, and you know I think was sort of you know trying to be her boyfriend or girlfriend you know that sort of situation someone I didn't know really but her friend a good friend of hers um, who came from her own town somewhere in the south west um, was definitely a Christian someone in Christian youth and was uh, found really annoying actually she was always around if you like uh and um and kind of just far too happy too <laughs> joyful you know and it and actually and I, I would i can look back at it now and almost laugh about it because i can see it you know for what it was and frame it in a way um you know annoyingly happy joyful you know when you're a student it's all about other stuff it's certainly not to be you know to to find yourself in year one all happy and joyful that's really annoying actually you know you know if that's how i'd look at it now um and um and that was the first instance and i think before that i'd had a girlfriend actually very briefly wouldn't even call a proper girlfriend at uh, when i was doing um, secondary school my a levels who was a something i'd never heard of before called a christian scientist uh, which i thought was completely balmy i didn't really understand it and didn't want to understand it actually at that age anyway for me and her mother was um a christian scientist and and kind of therefore her daughter was that's how it sort of came across to me and um you know that that didn't last long really it was all kind of wonky for me and, and weird and that's how i would 
can't broadly describe um, my l- interaction or lack of interaction or thought of God. Um, it, everything I was doing it was in my own strength, really. Mm-hmm. That's what I'd say. It was me, myself, and I, and up to me to make things happen mm-hmm. always. And if I didn't put the hard work in or whatever was needed, uh, nothing would happen. You know, so I was sort of this idea of being in, in control of one's own destiny. Mm-hmm. That's how I'd describe broadly. Um, my, my my thinking would you, you know? go as far to say that you were an atheist yeah i mean it's funny atheist seems like a really strong word in a way because it's such a weird word actually when you see it written down it's like oh is that even english yeah actually are you, you usually get the i and the e the wrong way around yeah definitely yeah <laughs> that's hard one that's, to spell yeah have to tell if someone's a real atheist <laughs> check their spelling of it yeah that's right uh yeah uh, i mean I, I wouldn't actually say I wasn't someone who'd proclaim go on the streets an anti-God, anti-Christ type of thing, you know, whatever that might really mean anyway. Uh, but it's someone who, definitely someone who had no, I would say, had no conscious active space for God or desire for or will and would go really just zone completely out if anyone really was talking about it. And um, But I wouldn't, I wouldn't really say per se I would actively, you know, go out with vehement and fire and spit saying anything that you know it's not true i never really found myself in those situations or if you like boxed into a situation where i'd have to perhaps fight back like that but actually god was really not at all in my life and had no desire for any god and as far as i'm concerned was there a god no not really Mm. and tell me about your daughter natasha what was she like and what was your relationship with her like? Well, as a father, I mean, a lovely girl. I mean, in many ways, a lot of the teenage bit of angst, of course, you know, goes without saying who's not, who's going to bypass that thoroughly. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but but she was really wonderful. She was really quite uh, gutsy girl. I mean, in, um, that she was really up for all sorts of things, whether it was uh, flying planes or jumping, you know, skydiving, wow. age 15, um and um all number of things really i mean to a point we got wow as a dad as me being kind of a bit more sort of i would say a go-getting type of person that's you know really in my work business life in certainly in the past um that's certainly what i would want from a daughter you know if i had yes. to say what would, what kind of character would you like well someone who's go-getting gutsy not afraid uh not someone who's sort of prissy prissy and sort of just you know bashful and shy and just going to be uh, someone that felt was going to really make a mark for herself somewhere along the line in some way that's Mm. how i describe her yeah i understand that in the months prior to her death she was exploring faith and um along the road to becoming baptized is that right well yes so her um, her best friend bethany um was four well who's 14 at the time natasha died um her father, Bethany's father, is a pastor. I've now found out, only recently, that he's actually a somebody who's funded by stewardship.org.uk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's like a, um, a sort of a, in a kind of missionary sort of role, but not in foreign countries, you know, behind enemy lines type of thing, more like speaking at churches to, to all sorts of people all week long, all mm-hmm. around the country. But he, he um, so he... He was quite obviously very connected to God. Not that I knew him at all, um, but Bethany and Natasha were best friends. And Bethany used to sing, um, she's a bit older now, used to sing at a, in a youth church choir in Wimbledon, in a church called Everyday Church. Uh, and um, so, and, and Natasha, for probably a year prior 
to her dying was going to the youth thing sort of bit on a Friday night and what happened was sort of through that interaction I just have got I suppose I could look back closer to the whole idea of God really uh, and with Bethany as a best friend and um, and actually two weeks before she died Natasha told Bethany that she wanted to get baptized um, I, she didn't tell me this myself we know this because Bethany actually told us actually this this is what happened um, you know just prior so Beth, she, so that we know that Natasha and Natanya knows it as well more than I do did at the time that Ta- Natasha was sort of if I, if I put it well, veering towards God veering that that way uh, unlike the rest of us really meaning uh, myself uh, I was probably the most extreme the other end Tanya as a mother perhaps as a woman with more sensitivities I don't know inherently so you know more around home rather than me not around home had picked up on on Natasha's sort of sentiments towards it and Tanya started to go to everyday church as well just to find out what on earth is this all about actually you know what's our child interested in interested in so on so did she ever get baptized or was that just in her plans no it she never did get baptized um she she died before uh, that, but um, but when I got baptized, um, I actually at everyday church in the swimming pool I call it below <laughs> the stage, you know that if you like that's how I sort of look at it in a way. Um, I wore I had a t-shirt on with her picture printed on her name, so we sort of went under the water together, <laughs> so kind of symbolically if you like, yes. you know, you know. That's yes. beautiful. Yeah. Wow. When you discovered that, that um, Natasha was going to church more, this is this is before you became a Christian. Yes. What was your reaction? I I well, I was fine with her going to I call it a youth group because to me it really just felt like a youth club of sorts and, and great. You know, she's got going out somewhere; it's a kind of safe place with a friend and so on. And it it didn't bother me at all. And in fact, to be honest, I I didn't really engage with it at all. Actually, mm. is the truth. It, um, you know. That, her, that was her on a Friday night or Friday evening, and my Friday evening or night was meeting uh, some, you know, friends and going out, for, for, I say, for a drink. Not that I drink ever drank much at all, but just you know, social, mm. if you like. So we sort of all went our separate ways. So I never really paid, to, honestly, any any real attention mm. to it or noticed it actually. Yeah, um, but it didn't bother yes. you. No, it didn't bother yeah. me at all. No. Okay, tell me about if you can, in mm. as much detail as mm. you can, about the day on the plane. So. Were you and <clears throat> Natasha going somewhere specifically together, or yeah. were, you, were you with a fat? Were you all together as no, a family? No, so that it was unusual in that we'd never. So myself, Natasha, and Bethany, her best friend, who's fourteen at the time, the three of us going to south of France to Nice. Mm. Uh, now we'd never done actually split the family up, but by that means we, you know, myself as a family, the f- four of us, m- myself, Tanya, my wife, and two children, we'd always gone anywhere together and everywhere <coughs> abroad mm. as well but this time round um, uh, Natasha really wanted to show Bethany her best friend uh, the kind of holidays that Natasha she'd had in the years gone by in the south of France and how great it was etc and Bethany hadn't actually I don't think she'd ever left the UK at that time um, and then our son Alex who's two years younger he had a friend coming over to stay you know, from France, oddly. So the whole thing was like a kind of mix and match. So just the three of us, myself, Natasha and Bethany, on a plane, basically, going out of Heathrow to Nice and then staying in our 
what was at the time my parents' apartment uh, in Nice, uh, with like a holiday home, if in effect, uh, and um, and just the three of us. Yeah, so it was a kind of regular thing. I, I used to fly pretty much every two weeks um, somewhere around the world for work. So airports for me was kind of just you know very mon- quite mundane and quite standard stuff really. Um, and um, yes, because it was an early flight, the early like the first flight out at something like seven a.m. type of thing. Um, the the two we didn't eat any breakfast before leaving the house, and Tanya drove the f- the three of us f- drove us uh, to Heathrow and dropped us off. And um, Natasha and the girls were so excited because it's like going away together, just the two of them, not with the whole class. And and they're just really buzzing, you know, and 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 you, you know, wearing whatever they wanted to wear, you know, s- sloppy kind of like onesie pajama, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> you know that you know how girls are, I would say, or can be maybe, <clears throat> um, and uh, and listening to each other's music, you know, that thing where they they have one earpiece each, you know, from one sort of digital device, and um, and they just said quickly, we said quickly goodbye to Tanya. Um, you know, just like the drop off, and then we went into the the terminal Heathrow, and um, you know, went through, and then they were really hungry. The two girls were quite hungry because uh, it was kind of early start, and the rumble on the tummy. Mm. Yeah, I, I know what that's like. I think we all know when you get up earlier than normal, yeah. the tummy rumbles. <laughs> you know, says says calls out for something. <laughs> um, and we we grabbed uh, um, some food at uh, a Pret a Manger. Uh, basically, which is I'd known, I'd been there many times in Terminal Five on my work travels, and um, Natasha was severely allergic to milk, eggs, uh, sesame seeds. Had been all her life, um, and but we've, as a family, everybody knew that, and we were very careful about how we negotiated around that, especially Natasha as well, um, and um, had inappropriate medicines, if you like, which is antihistamine. Uh, and um, a couple of uh, adrenaline injectin- injections, which is what you'd have if you had a snake bite or mm-hmm. something or an allergic reaction. Uh, and you and had all of those with you? Always, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like mil- you know, military issue. Mm-hmm. I'd call it, you don't go anywhere without mm-hmm. it. And that was just part of life. It was mm-hmm. quite fine. Not, nothing to be overly concerned about. Just it's the way we worked and operated. Um, we went, Yeah, so we went in and looked at the sandwiches that were wrapped up on the shelf in this kind of fridge cabinet and Natasha picked one out and looked at it there's a label on it saying what was in it uh, and I looked at it it was fine and when Natasha had you know like younger eyes than me meaning really sharp on detail um, visibly sharp so you could look at something and see things in it that I couldn't even see if you, if you know what I mean from her mm. and, um, and, so, and I said yep that's fine yeah it's fine so we bought it and we sat down you know, chomped through our our food in about ten minutes, basically mm. before we had to get on the plane, which was literally a hundred yards away through the gate. Um, and Natasha started to feel a bit unwell. Well, unwell really means what's called an itchy throat, mm. and that's kind of an allergic person's speak itchy throat for um oh there's something maybe about this food that's giving me a little mild reaction. Mm. Um, but um, so it took some something called piriton, which is over the counter antihistamine mm. and um, no, if that such a situation was quite relatively routine might happen once in a while mm. and the, the itchiness as it was called go away you know mm. that's it um, thought nothing much of it actually any mm. of us because well the sandwich was clearly fine you know as far as we, th- we thought but um, 
you know, when we the plane was in the air, it's a two one hour fifty minute flight, sort of roughly two hour flight, um, and um, the plane was in the air, and a you know, half hour or more in, she was really not feeling great and sort of um, getting more itchy, if, if I call that, and then swallowing more pyroton, and then having uh, taking a fair amount of um, what you call uh, asthma inhaler, if you blue inhaler, mm. for example. Um, and I thought, oh, it, it was, yeah, I didn't think too much of it. You know, the three of us were sitting in a line, you know, as it were, in one row of seats. And I was on the end uh, by, by the aisle. And then Natasha had got up, you know, sort of saying, oh, you know, not feeling that great, and went to the loo. I didn't think much of it. Maybe, you know, it was early morning, maybe, mm. maybe it was in the time of the month, you mm. know, for, for her, for example. I, I really wasn't sure. Yeah. So, but it, everything had been so routine. I didn't see any cause for, you know, alarm. I mean, we'd lived, remember, a life already for 15 years mm. like this and one didn't get alarmed overly alarmed you know live like a kind of complete nightmare life we were kind yeah. of felt quite in control of things to be honest yeah. um but when she came back uh sometime later probably about five eight minutes later from the toilets in the plane she sat down and he said hey, i'm really not feeling well at all and, and she lifted up her shirt her top like that and and I could see she was covered in huge red welts, oh, wow. raised like pattern on the skin, like a like a giraffe's pattern, but raised up Gosh. and really bright red, like mm. shocking, you know. Uh, never seen that before in my life on her or indeed mm. anyone else. Actually, uh, oh my gosh, that is that is terrible. I'm not sure what's going on, but this is a severe allergic reaction to what? Wasn't sure because. You know, so far everything. Didn't think of the yeah. As a sandwich, yeah. And um, and she said, she said, Daddy, you know, you're really having trouble breathing. And um, can you give me? Let's have it. Give me the EpiPen, basically. Inject me with the EpiPen. Let's go to the toilet. So I called. I called the steward. Just it was passing by in the cabin. I said, We need to. You know, my daughter's having an allergic reaction. I need to give her injection of an EpiPen. She said, Okay, come to the the toilet, and you know, go there. That's the toilet at the front of the plane, literally the one you walk past when you kind of get on the plane. And um, we quickly went in there, and I pulled. She sat on the loo, and um, in a really very smaller toilet for two people, mm. actually, two kind of adulty type mm. size people. Um, closed the door. She wanted to close the door because it was, you know, girls and their privacy, mm. and they're so embarrassed about things at that age. You know, it's they never want it goes to be into different. Her thigh, does it? Yeah. yeah. Sat down and pulled down her jogging pants and I injected her with it into her thigh and counted to 10 and did all the right the things that I kind of know you had mm. to do and checked for a spot of blood as well to that would tell you the needles pierced through mm -hmm. and that for it's discharged mm -hmm. it's um, adrenaline I thought oh thank god for that I thought you know that's that's great that was my mm -hmm. thinking thank god for that great should all be fine now mm -hmm. and I'd never actually done that before by the way so it wasn't for me a routine thing mm -hmm. in any way but she was really having trouble breathing, you know, gasping for air, like a kind of fish that mm. when you see a fish in a goldfish bowl and you wonder why is it constantly at the top of the bowl, you know, what looks like, frankly, gasping. Mm. And we can't feel that pain of that fish in a way. And we look at it, you know, it was kind of like that. Mm. I just, Daddy, Daddy, I can't breathe. Get the other one. Get the second one. I, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is, you know, her serious tone and her sort of, Really, ex is ex so not exasperation. Um, I don't know the word. You know, the whole sound, her whole sound was 
not panicked. good. Panicked. Yeah. Yes, yeah. thank you. Panicked. I ran back to see, got the second one, gave the second injection. I was just now into a kind of mode of like, it's all going to be okay, isn't it? Okay. And talking to her, we've done the right thing, da, 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 da. Mm. Now, none of us, either of us, have decided, had ever been through this situation mm. before. I have to say, so I can look back with no idea what the outcome would be. But actually, the way we've always believed as a family, somehow come to learn through doctors or whoever, um, that if you've got an epi- these adrenaline pens, these are your lifesavers, basically. These are the bullets that are mm. going to save your life, so to speak. So you really do have that belief because you've had had drummed into us or absorbed that for years. But it was not the case at all. Um, and things within minutes got much worse, much, much worse. And mm. yeah, it just it went into an abyss, basically. Mm. Unthi- unbelievable. It was the dr- drama, you know, she was passing out. You know, her face was really swelling. And um, I got out of the toilet into the jump seat next to next to the door where you walk in with the, where the air crew sit down at takeoff and called quickly for the steward i said get an oxygen mask right away now get it now you know and um and he bought the bottle of oxygen which is a portable one i put, I put the mask on the face turned it up full full blast and this point i was thinking gosh i did i didn't couldn't imagine ever imagine she would actually die it was unthinkable it mm-hmm. just brain doesn't go there I was now in process mode basically thinking honestly thinking back as a father but also to my science background really like okay I think we've got pure oxygen I know the air is 80% you know carbon dioxide nitrogen and you know and 20% oxygen by giving a pure oxygen I should offset the fact that the narrowing of her airways you know and I was kind of just balancing it out that way in my mind you know, instantly like that yeah. and thinking okay this should get us through you know somehow but not thinking through to what you know it just it's in the moment the then and the now but nothing it just wasn't working she was um fell unconscious completely you know lump. this is in minutes a matter of minutes and um the crew was just standing there looking there i said for god's sake i said call for if there's a doctor on board mm. someone and they made a call and in a matter of minutes later, this young guy appeared through the curtain, you know, as it were. He looked like could be my son, you know, you know, really yeah. compared to me, like half my age, if if that. Um, which in itself seemed like, oh gosh, yeah, <laughs> yeah like uh, that's not what you want, is it? It's oddly enough, in an you know, it, it felt like that. But you know, and I, he said, "I'm a junior doctor. I've just qualified yesterday." He said, gosh. "Oh my gosh, okay." So I, he, I briefed him exactly what happened. And what I'd done so far, and we lay now Natasha, who was unconscious, on her back on the floor of the plane in the, uh, in they call it the the um, the galley. Sorry, mm-hmm. the galley it's called serving area. You know, if you like, where they have the food trolley mm-hmm. things, and um, which is a really tight space, mm-hmm. actually. Um, and he went through all the kind of things that he could think of, which was who well, started CPR. You know. Um, and so on and I was talking to Natasha all the time because I don't know how to do CPR mm. I have to say I, I you know I, I could guess it but I wouldn't do it properly at all but um, he you know was doing CPR he called for some help from one of the um, air stewards to, to hold her in a certain position mm. now she's unconscious now um, you know and uh, and so on and you know, the whole situation just went bad to worse I just couldn't believe what was happening I sort of went into a kind of like a no man's numbness, if you like, but but still 
remember acting it through, you know, like talking to her constantly in a, in mm. a slightly raised voice above the, the level of the cockpit noise, mm. you know, not cockpit, the level of general the background hum noise, the, the yeah. hum and the and stuff. It's quite noisy, actually, when you stop mm. to listen in a plane, the level of noise. Um, and, uh, yeah, and she's having, she went to the car, to her, I was saying, Tasha, you, I know you can do it. Come on, be strong. Um, I know you win all your races at school, <laughs> you know, for, for all her asthma, for example, that she'd had at school when when running a race at like, the you know, the, the sports day things, she'd always win them, the running the race, because she would just go flat out She's to so run it and suffer the consequences yeah. afterwards. <laughs> and so I knew she had strength in her and I knew she was gutsy, you know, and had what I'd call balls you know right you know yeah. then back then I can use those words <laughs> and so on and and I knew she wasn't you know she's a fighter was not a quitter or limpy or lame in any in, in what yeah. I would see as a father when yeah. I think about her <clears throat> and um so I was just calling her to fight on you know and but you know she, no response at all she was unconscious she was in multiple cardiac arrest now situation um but the plane kept flying on yeah. um and when it eventually did land um the medic paramedics came straight on board there and um so five of them actually huge guys really big burly like firemen mm. in france actually mm. they're not kind of as dainty as british paramedics <laughs> massive guys big boots and there was nowhere physically for them to be because mm. in that space it was and it was like they were standing on her they were actually standing on her arms and and i was like stop what are you mm. doing you know i was like and and they you know, they got to work trying to do what they're trying to do, but it, yeah, none of it worked. Basically, mm -hmm. I mean, you know what? You know, she she, uh, she died on the plane in in, in Rio. In, I know that from, from my from God telling me that, showing me before that. it had landed. No, it's on the tarmac. On the tarmac. Mm -hmm. Everybody had been all the other passengers had been taken off the plane from the back of the plane, mm -hmm. <clears throat> so they didn't see what was going mm -hmm. on in the front behind the curtain, mm -hmm. um, and so we were on the tarmac playing the land for about half an hour or more before um, she actually died, yeah, and, and, and her, she was taken to hospital. Yeah. Mm. Was Bethany with you at this hospital? Yes, so Bethany, um, bless her, 14-year-old girl, mm. you know, her best friend, Natasha, um, in, a, in a terrible state, and, and Bethany certainly never been through this in her life, it wasn't something, you know, and... Um, I wasn't thinking about Bethany during the flight mm. at that point. She was been sitting in her seat, and when the plane had landed, she'd come forward to the front seat, but still on the other side of the curtain, and she was praying nonstop, mm. absolutely praying nonstop wow. all the time. That brings us to the end of part one of today's show. Coming up, Nadim describes the angels he saw hovering over Natasha's body just before she died. Premier Christianity magazine. Are you fed up with fake news or bored of bad stories? We think it's time for something different. I'm Sam Hales, editor of Premier Christianity magazine. Every month, our team publishes stories of lives transformed, testimonies, miracles, healings, and loads more good news. We're here to encourage you, excite you, and keep you up to date with all that God is doing through his church. That's why we're proud to bring you a magazine that's different. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. The Profile.
You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome back to The Profile with me, Megan Cornwell. Today on the show, we're hearing from Nadim Ednan Leperus, whose daughter Natasha died from a severe allergic reaction to a Pret-a-Manger sandwich. Nadim, who was an atheist before his daughter died, experienced a profound spiritual event on the day of her passing that led him to faith. Listen in. You say that you saw angels hovering over <coughs> her body. Mm. Can you tell me in as much detail as you can mm. what you saw? Yes, well, you can imagine... Well, I can imagine... It, the situation was really dire, and um, Natasha's heart had started... So the paramedics were doing lots of CPR, really vigorous, and they were, like, sweating. Uh, you know, there's quite warm on the tarmac as well, and the amount of physical exertion, they were they were taking in turns, literally, to, you know, at it, if you like. Um, and, and they were trying to f- force a tube down her, Natasha's throat to try and ventilate her, as they call it, get air into her lungs because her throat, not just her throat, really all other tubes going down had closed up, but they couldn't get a tube down her lungs, they just mm-hmm. couldn't. Um, but um, anyway, she, her, her eyes were open, unconscious, but her eyeballs were completely full of vomit where she'd vomited up from being forcing, if you push someone's stomach or chest that much, you know, and you don't have control over it because yeah. you're not conscious, it's just going to throw everything up. Mm. So it literally like a washed over her face. And her sock- eye sockets were full of the food she'd eaten, which was very red pesto. Mm. And so it looked, she looked, you could say like the devil mm. in a way. You know, if you, if you saw it in a film and you opened yeah, her eyes, and all you saw scary. was red. Yeah. But And it was awful. And I, I saw one part of the thing, Oh gosh, her stomach acid, and we know how strong stomach acid yeah. is. It must be burning her eyeballs, her corneas. She's going to yeah. go blind, you know yeah. that sort of thing. But anyway, so her heart beat. She's rigged up to a uh, to a defibrillator, um, which was showing the signs of heartbeats, you know, as it were. Um, and her heart came back. And this is after, like, you know, going into in and out of multiple cardiac arrests, basically, you know, an hour think back of it i mean the nightmare situation going on for 45 minutes one hour i mean i don't know you know if you think about that in a hospital that is just horrific in a hospital let alone mm. on the floor of a plane <clears throat> and um a heartbeat came back so the paramedics in french and i speak fluent french kind of went oh look this is good news you know so to speak in terms of the heart mm. piece and yes, it great, and we all high fived each other like that with great sort of slapping hands, you know, quite vigorously because they're really strong guys, and mm. as it were. And um, and then the heart fainted, just just went, and they went back to CPR, see pushing, 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 sweating, sweating, and and it came back as a just as a murmur, and they were, oh, but it's just, it was just it's still weak, really mm. weak, and then it went again, you know, like that. Um, but what happened was, at that point, um, and there were some, we'd been some time on the ground. I was standing there. I was holding the, the um, a bottle of sal- a saline um, solution, which was rigged up, mm. hooked up, you know, all temporary kind of sort of thing, hooked up onto the curtain pole, etc. And I was standing over her body, like that, literally, actually, like right in front of my feet, and this where you are, paramedics all in front, all around, basically, all at, on the ground level. And I was just in kind of disbelief at the whole situation. You know, I'd been talking to her non stop now for an hour and a half, 
loud you know, mm. talking. Tasha, you can make it. Come on, baby. You can do it. You can do it. So I had this sense of that I wanted her, if at all, through her sort of a conscious state, somehow to know that I was still with her and she mm. wasn't alone. And uh, it's just suddenly these... Uh, just five angels appeared. Uh, just, I mean, can you imagine I'm not looking for this, you know, and I'm actually a very um, quite lucid person, actually. But you, can, you know, friends will say that. People who know me from business, I'm not someone who, who has kind of, you know, funny moments as such, or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, and uh, these five angels just appeared, and I know they're angels because, well, they were, the pe- they were basically people with wings. That's the first thing. And I've never seen that in my life before, and um, they were—they just were from her head to her toe, hovering over her, um, all moving around different heights, not waving their arms and flapping like some kind of, like each one was a, neither of them was a cartoon in motion, if you like. They're all very succinct, very—I wouldn't say they were moving up and down across, but slowly. In, not in some frantic way like it's like what was happening on the mm. ground with physically and they was were made a completely different <coughs> pace to what was completely happening? different pace yeah. it was somewhere else mm. something else otherworldly yeah. otherworldly mm. and i recognize i say they're angels you know i don't have a piece of paper given to me to say these are angels but they were hum- i would call like human beings in effect in mm. long with wings coming off their backs off from the behind you know uh, but more like butterfly wings, not like no feathers, mm. for example. And uh, moving around, and so taken aback because my whole vision was filled with that. Suddenly, it wasn't like they were in front of your face. And if I said, "Could you just move aside?" and I could see your face again, the whole vista filled up with this yellow light. And they were made of yellow light as well, but stronger than the the background light. Um, but soft, very soft light. You know, not a one you'd squint at. Actually, mm. really, um, like a like the not even a filament of a light bulb because that's much too bright. It's um, I look around. I can't see anything like it. <laughs> if I look around. Um, you soft. Like that kind of dusk, like when the sun sets. Yes, and more of a sunsetty. But even then, that's too orangey. These were really core mm. yellow mm. At, at their heart, and not orange at mm. their heart. If, if, in terms of as a color, I have an artistic background, so I know my colors, if you like. Um, in that sense, to to say that, but um, and I just and I was so taken aback. I literally went like that. What is that in my? And then dawned on me what that meant. Oh my gosh, why would I see that? That's because you know, and it kind of anything I'd ever heard of before, you know, randomly in my entire life raced forward to my mind. That must mean that, you know, and I just wouldn't accept that. Mm. Absolutely, and I lifted my hand up and whooshed them away like that. <laughs> Is in get out of here, mm. you know. It, it's not her time, and and they just all just in a, all gone, mm. and um, and that's when I know Natasha died because her heart, the faintness went, and the the paramedics who had been actively doing what they'd been doing for now quite some time, at least half an hour, were just like completely beaten mm. and just. As they stood back, they couldn't physically stand back in the sense of walk away, but just stopped. Mm. And we're kind of just looking at each other. In a, in a, I say not looking at each other like that because they're exhausted and mm. shattered and emotionally shattered. Mm. I, know, I, I know that. And uh, and that was the end. Yeah. 
You said that that nobody else in the room could see the angels. Mm-hmm. Do you have any sense of why that was? I, I, I mean, imagine I'm just a, you know I'm. I would say I'm a fool like any other fool. I'm a man like any other man, or I'm a human being like any other human. I'm nothing different about me, you know, in that in that way. I I you know. So I just surmised that because nobody else mentioned anything, that said, well, "Did you see that?" I wonder what was that about. Nobody said that to me, yeah. for example. Um, and also, nobody had the view that I had. No one was standing where I was standing. I had, I was the only one there. Again, the physical. Sus- space of is so small mm. that you can't all stand in a, it's not like being standing around having look all the other people are on the ground on yeah. the let's say at knee at, on their knees if you like and um bethany uh, natasha's best friend was sitting around the corner uh, so she was out of line of mm. sight of natasha mm. actually um and you think the whole thing was so traumatic. The last thing you'd want, actually, is to see her to be physically watching mm. what was going on, mm. as it were, anyway. Um, uh, but no, I, I, the, other pe- the other person who was there was the captain of the aeroplane. He was standing facing me from his cockpit, you know, looking out from the little door that the cockpit, which just literally is the size of you, the width of a man's shoulders, mm. really. Um, and he was just crying looking down and crying at what he was seeing below you know, at his feet um, and then I know there was a, a, a steward uh, air steward he was crying um, all the, the paramedics would look really beat mm-hmm. you know and just despondent if you like and um, and you know there was no mention you know, of what I had seen or anyone had seen mm-hmm. in that in that way at that point you know so I can own, so my sort of view if you like is if in effect is that um it was something meant you know given to by god for me to see you really mm. uh, for a reason mm. <laughs> you know um otherwise i suppose you might say things like that flash up all the time well i'm, I'm not aware of it but i maybe many are but I, i'm not aware of it. but i know that that's how i really feel it's very strongly that it was given to me to see and also um you know to well probably to change the course of my life uh, I mean, I, you know, I think had I not seen that, actually, I can I can literally call it a linchpin moment or mm. point in time. Had I not seen what I saw, which I know is the truth, and I'm happy to die for it now. You know, someone could interrogate me now and say, "I will kill you unless you say otherwise." You know, I said, "Well, you're going to have to kill me then." That's how. That's the truth of it, because that's how I see it's the truth. And from that point, and I would call it a point. It's probably got to be the lowest point in my life, mm. definitely. Um, in that sense, you know, everything's changed for me, really, uh, in a way that I look at the world mm. or the way. I mean, I'm not saying 100% change myself in the sense that, yeah, I still do a fair few things I used to do, but my mindset, you know, has, has, has changed. Natasha died on a Sunday morning, basically. The fall, and we, myself and Tanya brought her body back in the same plane basically we, we got that to happen and her coffin was below half her feet basically um in the plane and that was friday night it took five days to get her to organize to bring her body back to the uk and on the two days later on the sunday following i, I wasn't in that church for the first time in my life basically in everyday church Wimbledon and I've probably been we we have but I've certainly probably only missed a handful of weekends 
total since then, and that's uh, three, sorry, 17, 18, 19, three and a half years it's worth. So, you know, uh, 150 plus visits, if you like. And in that time, I've, I've learned quite a lot about the Bible, and in fact, God and Jesus, actually, through actually the verbal teachings of certain aspects of the Bible from the preachers mm. or people come talk. And I found that it's really engaging, actually, because I think partly I think they say they, they preach really well or, you know, that's one thing. And it's interesting. Mm. I find it interesting yeah. as well. Um, and I remember if ever once or twice I've been to an, what I call a straightforward Anglican church, like, um, you know, when a baptism, someone's baptism or wedding frankly felt like falling asleep partly because partly because nothing's being said that's interesting i mean that was of course in you know what i called my form myself by the way <laughs> anyway but here this is slightly more everyday so slightly uh, i'd call it more evangelical if that's yeah. the word yeah. the right label as such and and it's it is interesting and the people look quite normal as opposed to dressed up in some something that makes me feel really different from yes. them uh, and so on so that and through that, and then that me being interested by what they're saying, I've picked up other things and read things and found my sort of, my sort of, I call it a wonky teaching, if that's the word. You know, <laughs> you know it's not like I studied it at school or, or in some kind of academic formal way, way, formal yeah, way. Yeah. I've come to know more. And, but moreover, I think, if not, I think the big piece for me is that I saw those angels. I know they were, I was for a reason. Therefore, everything in the Bible is true. I don't need to read it to know it's true in that sense. You know, I'm not one, not that I was going to read it to disprove it, but I know everything in it is true. And the whole, the whole gamuts, the whole thing is true, etc. And, um, and more than that, things have happened in my life since, mm. um, three, since Natasha's died that I would actually say are so unbelievable that if I was to tell that story, probably everyone here would fall over because you cannot believe how something, things have been prophesied in one hand by people who vaguely know us and then days later literally people who don't know us from another part of the world completely saying those words and have no relate and you go oh my gosh yeah. it's so unbelievable how certain things happen so god's so confirmed some things to you god's definitely confirmed yeah. i'm here basically i'm watching you i'm hearing you and you know i'm with you i yeah. think that's the big thing i am with you always and um you know, you just have to kind of reach out and touch, literally like the song, reach out and touch. And, you know, you can experience me, in effect. And and that's what I've, I've found, and Tanya as well, have found many times since. Mm -hmm. So palpable. Mm -hmm. But what's, so unu what's unusual about it, in a way, is if something, an experience of that magnitude were to happen without having, you know, in, in another kind of world, you'd go out shouting about it like, like you'd gone berserk. But the funny thing about it, is the biggest, um, and this is still kind of makes my mind, I, I kind of question it anyway. The biggest and most incredible thing in the entire world is actually your, your father, the God, if you like, actually to have a palpable, inter palpable interaction with him, even though you can't see, you know, like you can't just go, oh, hey, you go and shake hands and, you know, like in a real, in a sort of physical world. So things like that happen, and we've had it a few times in, in the way that things have happened with us. And you don't go, doesn't send you off the wall it actually is so calm and natural you assume it as though that's the way it is 
it, it, so that's the that's an interesting thing from if an outsider was to look in you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be going screaming oh yeah you know like, like oh, i've won the lottery for example <laughs> in this physical world you just assume it because you know it's all true it's right it's almost like god prepares you for that that you don't go off the wall afterwards <laughs> you, you know what i mean it's just, i don't know how to put it in words but it's so incredible when we've had meetings um with government and you know the basic secretaries of state it's different ones and very very powerful business people i mean so powerful that you know i was never going to i would never meet such people ordinarily in my life um and we always talk about god mm-hmm. in some way at these meetings but you know I, I say not overtly but we do sort of kind of have this very strong faith and that God wants us, or is pushing us, if you like, or you know, if we call it pushing us, helping us to do the right thing, to help save other people's lives. And because God is always right, you know, absolutely God is always right, and he is the truth and the light and all those things, it's to not mention it actually seems terrible mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. So, and the fact that it's, we might be talking to someone, the head of the biggest supermarket chain, the 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 the, you know, the prime minister, if you like, or whoever, and not mention God seems unbelievable or unthinkable because actually God, God, and we have the proof, I would say, in our hearts how we feel that God is the thing that governs us all, you know, in in a way, and there we are running around trying to do as people things in our own strength, like I was in my, if I call it my former life, if I can only reference myself because I know what that feels like. Um, and as are many politicians running around, and, you know, etc. And business people. And hang on a minute, hang on, a minute. Just, just you know, what would God what would what would God want us to do here? You know, do the right thing. That's what it is. And what is the right thing? Well, the right thing is to have great compassion and humanity for all those, you know, that, that are around you, whether you know them or not, or whether they've, I mean, literally, they, whether they have trespassed against you. You know, literally that. And it, and to to give you know not to hold those grudges and stuff as I think people do and I have done when running around the world in your own strength mm-hmm. you know you sort of build yourself into a profile or a particular kind of sword is sculpted mm-hmm. in your hand by your all the all the bad things you hold mm-hmm. if that makes sense mm-hmm. but here you don't have to walk around with a sword you know if it's for, and this is the way I feel about it if it's for the right thing if if it's God's plan therefore. God who lays out the carpet that rolls it out for mm. you and you just have to walk it basically you know and the doors on each side of that corridor will open mm. where they need to open and I've we felt this in the last few years so palpably mm. myself and Tanya at meetings to the point where if you were to actually say what's the probability of that you know in the real in the in the physical world when you're thinking of it looking you go, no chance mate no chance but actually people are astonished by what's happening to us. And, wh- and when you say happening, are you talking in the spiritual level? Are you talking about the doors that are opening in terms of conversations with people at sort of very high, very high levels of government and things like that in terms of the changes you're trying to... Yes, the changes. So, so you know, we, I suppose we are, we, myself, Tanya, was pray before these meetings, you know, generally, anyway, these particular meetings, and just ask God to walk into the room, knowing that he will, but we just ask God, please walk in the room before us and, uh, you know, and and give it tell us what you want us to say you know give us the words and we will just be your mouthpiece you know in a, in that way i mean in the mm. humble way we're not going to try and ram our point across and then, you know that's that those that era for me is gone mm. you know that was my former life mm. i'd call it my former life where where business meetings were about you know 
getting one over the other. You know that mm. you know that thing. It's a deal making. Mm. Here there is no deal to be made with God at all ever. It is just there is one way and I call it the way, the right way if you if to call it I mean the right way. That's the good the way. Christians called it the way. Is it the way? And yeah. and and that is how it must flow. And you know if it's going to happen and I we feel that if God gives us the word then more often than not things will go that way you know for the because that's what god wants really i mean god it's important to say i really feel it i had a period afterwards when i really did rage against god i had Mm -hmm. that kind of moment my human i'm gonna call it my completely human sort of selfish if you like moment Mm -hmm. if that's the right way where i raged against god i told him i swore at him in Mm -hmm. every way possible Mm -hmm. i went off the wall Mm -hmm. How could you do this to take my child, etc.? You know all the things that you might imagine you'd mm. do to someone, to a murderer. Mm. I'll be honest: a murderer had come into your house and killed your child and disappeared. Mm. So I didn't even catch the murderer. You know, I didn't have them in my hand. You know, and but in, and um, and I raged, absolutely raged, mm. you know, to the point of losing it, if you like. Uh, it's kind of almost like a delay. You know, I wasn't just a calm thing. It wasn't just like, oh, that's okay. My daughter died. That's mm. not not like that, really. Mm. I had this moment afterwards mm. that came, and you know, but I got through that. You know, actually, it's the church. I have to say, there's only one thing that was going to get me through that, and it did was every week going, you know, being mm. part of the church community and having what you really see is the all these people that don't know you, um, and not I might add, like I felt that such in an ang- a typical Anglican, you know, setup or Catholic because my mum. Mm grew up as a Catholic not that she's a follower at all by the way but certainly in the odd church I've been to in France very austere mm. you know that whole very structured mm. more us and them you know, and the, mm. you know type of feel but here in in this sort of like more evangelical church where I look around everyone looks like me I mean you know it doesn't matter what age or color they are you know really just we're all the same mm. um and um and their support and they're kind of holding me in effect um was you know I'd say transformational in a way. It really held me together and, and mm. saw me through. What I can just call the probably the darkest, easily the darkest part of my life. But then you know, then the kind of really God, I'd say, really picked me up, you know, and, and has kind of made me much more what I am today because I am definitely different. Yeah, mm. I used to swear a lot. <laughs> I mean, really, all not like like a on the street nonstop, but through frustration, through anger. Or uh, all those sorts of things, you know. It, I think fear, probably, um, all those things bring out. I think often the worst in people, anyway. Generally, in the, I call it this physical world, the way you know the t- typical, the non, I said non spiritual world. There you go. That's all better. And uh, and you know, like a builder, what you might call, <laughs> yeah, you know, awful. But I, but it was quite normal for me. I didn't even know I was doing it. And that, you know, since since uh, Natasha's died, you know, I, I really don't swear at all. Uh, in fact, I might have let slip the odd time once, <laughs> twice, but it's it's ninety nine point nine 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 percent gone. You know, yeah. in naturally so. Yeah. I might add. Yeah. Wow, what an amazing story! Absolutely incredible. Uh, is there anything else that you would want to add before we go? Anything else about the work that you've been doing? The, the Natasha Allergy Research Foundation is a charity started seven months ago, and um, and the point of that is to ultimately to save people's lives mainly mainly d- children and teenagers that have severe food allergies and there's two million of them in the uk mm. that's a huge number um and very little has been done for them 
you know, really. Uh, and Natasha's sort of situation, her story, has, which blew up in the media, has brought that whole situation to light. And so myself and Tanya, with our, our very strong Christian ethos now, mm-hmm. have said, right, well, we're going to do something about it. God, will you, you know, will you help us? And and he really is helping, I have to say. I mean, it's really tangible. Um, and we're going to want to save as many lives as possible of children um, and families who will never even meet, you know, by having getting laws changed, like Natasha's law, which is coming into force, uh, or by having, we're funding scientific research at the moment in Southampton University. W- question, why are we becoming allergic? What is it? What are these triggers? Um and uh, and and other things, you know, generally. And so we're working with government. We're working with some big, big, very big businesses to help fund the charity, uh, mainly because scientific research is so expensive. You know, mm-hmm. everything costs one million pounds and upwards, you know, and um, and so on. And we're we're acting on lots of points with a view to just have a real heart for what it is for families. Mm-hmm. Um, who who kind of have been suffering in science because nobody's understood them, mm-hmm. and people have always dis kind of dissed them as being fussy parents mm-hmm. or annoying children that are really fussy eaters, you know, that sort of approach, mm-hmm. and that's really, I would call that a, a classic lack of compassion mm-hmm. for other people, um, and it, you know, and and you know, just because somebody's not dying. Doesn't or, or 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 the point of dying doesn't mean their problems aren't actually mm. really important to them. Mm. You know, uh, you know something in my now my Christian sort of view is a life group that we have every week at our house for a number of years now. Um, when we go around the table, I sit the room, sit in the sofas. What would you like us to pray for? You know, someone will say, "Oh, my child at school." Da da da. Someone will say, "Oh, well, I still have this leak in my roof, and the builder hasn't fixed his tile." And, except, and then you know, and someone will say, "Well, my brother just been diagnosed with cancer. He has three weeks to live." And that's all in a matter of minutes as we mm-hmm. go around so- the sofas. And actually, I think then where I would have been before. I would have said to those that, other than the one who said they were dying, I said, shut up, you guys. That's all irrelevant. You know, really, get over yourself. That's how I would have mm-hmm. been, actually. And now I go, gosh, that's not great, the roof, you know, et cetera. And I really listen because that's so important to them. Mm-hmm. I, I know that person hasn't just made that up, mm-hmm. put their hand up just to be able to say something to fill the space. Otherwise, they'll feel unimportant. I know they've said that in the context of how we are in that room at the time in life group because it really is important mm. to them and it, it's something as important you know as someone else's what you might call ordinarily much bigger problem so that's a, a real change for mm. me I mean before it was prioritize forget it you know if it's below the nine thr- threshold I'm not even listening you know stuff like that but now I view the world really differently and listen to people um, whether I speak to people homeless people at one end or talking to Prince Charles, you know, at the other end, of, as it were, all the issues are there, and I take them in a very Christian way by listening and and praying for them. Mm. Actually, really, mm. it, it, it's really interesting. It's fundamental change uh, going from the left side of the street to the right side of the street, if that's a way of looking at it. Uh, I call it actually. It's not. That's a very bad way. I'd say it's really walking in the light. That's it. That is it. Being in the light mm. and not being in the dark. Mm. And that that probably is the one sentence that sums the change. That's all we've got time for today on The Profile. 
But join us next week, where we'll hear from more fascinating Christian guests.